Should you take your puppy into a workplace or school environment if you want them to become a therapy dog? Short answer is no. In this episode, Sam goes deep into why we at Therapy Dogs Australia will never recommend taking the risk of bringing your puppy into the environment you want them to work in before they are trained and assessed. Listen in to learn why. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode with the Therapy Dogs Australia podcast. So we've got, Hello everybody. We've got <laughs> Sam here and myself, Max, today. Sam's somewhere different for those who watch on the YouTube channel. It's the first I'm time the I think. today. Yeah, you're at the clinic. Yeah. So I am at the clinic currently two days a week and I work from home the other three days. So normally when we're doing therapy dog stuff, I do that from home, but I had a little bit of time today. So we are going to have a little chat about stuff, which is great. Got little Nala here today. Such a cutie. She looks very comfortable on the couch. She lives her life on the couch. (laughs) (laughs) Loves it. We just had our um, lunch break here, so she's exhausted from playing with all our other little therapy dogs that we've got here today. Such a social time. Such a fun time. Mm. Loves it. She loves it. Cool. So what we're going to talk about today is um, how age plays a role with um, training therapy dogs and um, Mm -hmm. all, yeah, everything that goes with that. Um, Yeah. We we get a lot of questions. Yeah. yeah, it's coming up very, very regularly, um, and I understand that definitely. But I just wanted to—I um, know we've talked about it in podcasts before, uh, but I wanted to touch on it again because it keeps coming up, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's difficult to understand um, that everybody's situation can be so different. So I don't want people putting pressure on themselves that their dogs need to reach a certain point by 12 months or whatever, you know? So yeah, we could just talk about that, but we're going to talk about retirement age as well and how to make those decisions and um, progression planning. Um, So for anyone that's sort of ends up building a business around animal assisted services, um, then you will have started to learn that, availability of animals starts to become something that you have to manage Mm. as a part of your business management and planning so yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's a a whole thing because Sonny Sonny is semi-retired isn't he yeah so he is 13 in January Mm. um and it's October now so he's nearly 13 he Nala is, she must be turning four. Yeah, I remember you said she was three, so she must be on her way to four. So 20, 21, 22, 23. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. She looks like a baby. She does. Um, <laughs> so she, because I know, because I got her when Sunny was eight um, or started the process when he was eight so I got her oh that's right I got her in December uh 2019 because then we had COVID straight after like Mm -hmm. it was COVID like Mm -hmm. March 2020 was when COVID started to kind of become a thing in Australia so um and I already had her yeah cool got it got my dates right um so he was eight when I started that process, uh, it's a lot of planning and what putting names on What made you finally make that lists. decision to get Nala? Because it takes so long to get a dog mm. um, from a breeder. Well, it did back then. I think we spoke to Tamara about that mm. from Whiskey River and she was like, no, there's like dogs everywhere now because something to do with COVID. There's um, like over availability of dogs. And I have certainly seen that on people's, um, some of the breeders that I follow on social media, like there's always availability. Whereas mm, it used to be yeah. like a, 
when I bought Nala, it was wait less time. Like how long was... did you wait? Was it because um... it was pretty common for it to be six months to a year pre-COVID? Yeah, I can't remember exactly how long, but I did do a lot of research. I contacted, I wrote up like basically a resume for what I could offer the dog um, and like the sorts of things that I wanted from the breeder, um, blah, blah, blah. So, and I made a short list. I was really hoping for something in Queensland um, and I made a short list based on that and then found like a local breeder um, and I met Nala when she was, I think, she might have been five or six weeks old. Mm. I've told this story before. But um, anyway, so the idea was that um, Nala was going to take, takes a while to find a dog, find the right breeder, be on their lists, get a dog. The dog's old enough to come home. um, And then we start training. So, you know, as you should with any dog. Um, you know, we have to train pet dogs as well. So then the idea being, I think she was, Sunny must have been, oh, so she, so Sunny's birthday is like the 1st of January. So I got her in December. So he was nine. That's an easy birthday to remember. I know. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Cute. Um, she must have just, Nala must have just turned four. Mm. So I got her in December. So she was born in October. I think she's the sixth. So she must have just turned four. I cannot believe she's four. That's ridiculous. That's outrageous. You're not four. You're just a baby. Mm. I just think you're a baby. (laughs) Um, So then Sunny's nine. So I had a year, I felt. I was planning to retire him at 10. Just Mm -hmm. thinking because he's a large breed, you know, medium to large breed dog being allowed. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking, yeah, retire him at 10, which is a great innings. Um, cause he's been a therapy dog since he was one and a half. So, um, the whole point, the whole process is about having her ready for once he retired. For that transition. So that, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and so I had like this actually playpen you can see behind me. Um, I had, I raised Oliver in that playpen. That's Oliver's playpen. He Cute. still loves it. <laughs> does he he loves it he knows how to open the door from the outside and he goes in there he loves it in there let me in that's why it's still there because he's he's expecting treats or it's no he's just always loved it in there he just always loved it in there and the other spot he sits is behind this plant show you this plant because he loves you know how i say he loves being outside so many gardens and stuff he always sits behind this plant i've had this plant forever it's like a little palm thing. He loves he loves that plant. So he sits between the plant and the wall. <laughs> like so he's like underneath the leaves of the plant. Oh, <laughs> it's little little Balinese. His own plant. little garden. <laughs> so funny. He's such a funny dog. Um but yeah, so Nala was in the playpen as well. So she grew up in the playpen too. Um and I was here five days a week back then. So we get a lot of questions about this, um, but I I just think everybody needs to make informed decisions about what they do mm. because people ask us all the time, this is what I get, this is what the conversation is all the time, is can I take my puppy or I am taking my puppy to my work or to my school? Our general stance, which everyone knows this because you've heard us say it a thousand times, is no, do not take your puppy the reason for that is because it's really easy to stuff it up Mm. it's really easy to get it wrong so giving that like sweeping general advice we've talked about this before like on other podcasts but I'll just summarize but we have another podcast we can put it in the show notes or something um but basically well, we have a few. We have a few on this. We're, yeah, we've talked about it a lot. <laughs> we talked about it a lot. You can flood your puppy. So you can end up causing your puppy to be stressed in these environments, um, which is very, very hard to then counter condition. So definitely in the Whiskey River um, podcast, we talked about that with Tamara, mm-hmm. um, the breeder. 
but it is really, really hard to then, if you've already accidentally stuffed it up, um, it's really, really hard to undo. And we know lots of teams that have tried to train a dog that has been taken to a school or a workplace as a puppy. And by the time someone temperament tests them, like by the time they come to our courses um, and either we meet the dog or one of our locum trainers meets a dog, we look at the dog and we're like, what? This is not a therapy dog. This will this should never be a therapy dog. Like this is not, this is dog is very, very it's anxious. puppy. Absolutely yeah. cooked, you know. So to even get this dog to a point where it's going to be a happy pet dog is going to take a lot of time and effort and money. So um, you've got to take the therapy dog thing off the cards, you know. And then people sometimes buy another dog. Um, but then you've got your first dog who's unstable now influencing the other dog because that's why we try and get like, so like with Sonny getting Nala when he was nine, when he was still young enough, like he's nearly 13. So he right now, like he's starting to get old now, like he's starting to slow down. You can see um, it. I can see it. Yeah. And so for the last four years, they've had like, it's only been in the last couple of months Sunny started to slow down. So they have had like the best friendship in the whole world because they just love each other. She's just, Nala is obsessed with Sunny. Oh, she sleeps cute. with him. Like she cuddles up next to him when he's sleeping. What a cute. Um, it's really cute. She just, yeah, obsessed. Um, and he loves her and they've had lots of time playing, but I'm, was always my plan was always to try and clone Sonny because he's the best dog in the world. So I was trying to like impart as much as possible, which he has onto my other dogs. So if you've got an unstable dog and you get a puppy, you actually have to keep them apart a lot so that you don't have the unstable dog having too much influence over your puppy, your young dog, because they can just as much as a well or a stable dog, just as much as a stable dog can guide a young dog in the right direction, an unstable dog can guide them in the wrong direction. So that's it's a bit just... like kids that way, isn't it? They're just copy. Yeah, yeah. They copy learn their from older sibling or yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like they learn from watching each other. Um, probably more so peers, like if you thought about it in terms of peers. Mm-hmm. At, like yep. kids at school and stuff like that, like they they watch each other, you know. Um, so, uh, when you're considering, so I feel like a bit of a hypocrite because I have had puppies in my workplace, but I just want to explain what the risks are and explain because what is happening is I say to people, people will like email me or whatever and say they're taking a puppy and I'll say something like, just be really careful taking a puppy because it can go really pear shaped. I've seen that a lot of times. And then the person will email back and they'll tell me these things that they're doing um, to account for taking the puppy. But every time they do that, I feel like I'm in a position where if I go, okay, I'm agreeing with their training plan. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not agreeing with your training plan because I don't know you and I've never met this dog. So... And you don't and know I the don't, workplace. You don't know. I don't, and I don't really care what you do. I, my job is to express, hey, this can go wrong. Like, cause mm, I know yeah. that. So, hey, this can go wrong. Um, but beyond that, I don't have a duty to tell everybody what to do. So I'm, and I don't actually have the time to delve into that. If somebody wants to bring me a puppy, and I have done this before, if somebody wants to bring me a puppy and, you know, actually engage in a training plan and get some advice specific to them and X, Y, Z, that's a different story again. pay for the again. time too. Absolutely pay for yeah. the time. Commit. No other dog trainers do that for free. Like why would I <laughs> be doing that, you know, like that's only going to take away from um, all this other stuff I've got to do. Mm. So yeah, so when they write that stuff back to me, which always happens, it's kind of like they're justifying, oh, but and sometimes they even are asking. So like, so, so, or they'll state it like, oh, it's fine because I'm doing this. Or they'll say, I'm doing all this. So is that fine? Or things like that. And I don't get into the conversation because I don't know if that's fine or not. And I, 
you know, like if you want to do some consulting over it, then we can book some time in. Mm, um, if you're serious, then. If you're serious about it. But that's why we've done all these podcasts on it because um, it keeps coming up and I keep having us and I'm like, okay, guys. And so now I direct people back to those podcast episodes and then this will, will now become another one to go like, okay, so here's what, here's what you can have as information for free. Here you go. Like this is, and it's not going to be specific to anyone's situation. So if you're someone who um, takes things on board as really sort of specific instructions, this is not specific advice. This is really general advice. You need so, a trainer. Like you need to have, need, you want to take it seriously. Yes. You need, yeah. Yes. To, you need to meet and book someone in. For- <laughs> every dog, every dog is an individual. You need yeah. individual advice. You know, that's why we have options for that. Like we've got live classes, like we've got situations where we can help you with your individual do dog. one-on-one tutoring training. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, or go to a, another dog trainer. Like it doesn't matter, you know, find a dog trainer. That's a good fit. And spend some time getting some one-on-one input into your dog um, because that's how you get really like advice for because it's not just about the dog. It's about you as well. So it's about you as a person with your dog specifically. Um, And that's really important that the person's taken into account, which I've talked about that too when we talked about, you know, taking advice from online people, um, influencers and stuff, taking dog training advice from people posting Mm. online. We did a podcast on that. I talk a lot about like that it needs to take the human being into account. It can't just be general advice. So some of the things to consider about taking a puppy. One, if you, if I brought a puppy here to the clinic um, and I happened to accidentally flood it and the puppy developed an aversion to this space, that aversion might travel to other spaces as well or it might not, but the aversion will be here. So now the one place I wanted to be able to take this dog, the dog's got a negative association with. So I think that's a really big risk to take where. It's a huge gamble. It's a huge gamble. Like what Mm. if it goes wrong? Like if you listen to those podcasts with Tamara, she talks about how easy it is for things to go wrong. So when I say Tamara, I'm talking about Whiskey River. So. Um, when you take that risk, so I generally tell people, cause they think you've got to socialize the dog at a school and some dog trainers give this advice. We've got to dog socialize the dog at the school, um, for it to be able to cope in a school down the track later, but that's not true. So you need to socialize the dog in environments that are similar to a school but not at a school and especially not while you're working there where you can't do anything to support the puppy if it has a negative interaction or whatever because you're busy working and you don't have any control over these kids and blah, blah, blah. And for hours on end. For hours and hours on end. The puppies are tired and, yeah. you know, there's they're overtired and so they're more emotional and they're more vulnerable in that way and all that sort of stuff. So they're more likely to have a negative experience when they're, see a stimulus or whatever Mm. my opinion it's my opinion is is that you are taking a massive risk a massive massive risk by exposing your dogs to these environments when if one bad thing happens in that critical period or even just their really young period that could result in that dog never being a school dog never being a clinic dog ever Sonny's 13 He's been a therapy dog for nearly 12 years, like 11 and a half years. That's amazing. Imagine if he was net, like you busted it when he was six months old. That's his whole career. Like these dogs can have a career. I've said this before. Oliver's eight um, has been, has been literally working. I had him here as a puppy um, and a young dog. So he's been in this environment for eight years. Nala has been in this environment for four years. Like these dogs can have long careers if we do it properly. So I just think weigh up the risk. So when you're weighing up this risk and you're like, I can, I can do it. I, I can, I can handle it. Some of you, yes. Some of your puppies and young dogs, yes, they will be able to handle it. But what I think is really important to understand is how will you know? 
So how do you know if you're doing the right thing? Mm, that's a great question. By the dog. How do you know if you've got the knowledge and the skills to do the right thing by the dog? And how do you know that the dog is the right dog to be able to handle this at this age? If you, if I'm saying that and you're like, okay, Sam, um, I know because of blah, 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 blah. Great. Good. <laughs> Cause that's my answer too. <laughs> Same. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so, and that's why like, it feels hypocritical, but at the end of the day, I know what I'm doing. So I know if I got another puppy, I'd do the, I'd do the exact same thing. That playpen will still be there and I'll do the exact same thing. Cause you know what? I've done that um, now with two dogs and they've turned out to be perfect dogs pretty much. So um, I think I know what I'm doing and I am a accredited dog trainer. I have a very deep, thorough understanding of behavior. I've got a massive amount of control over this environment. This is my clinic. Um, I've got total control over my diary. I've got total control over what clients I book. I've got total control over um, my workload. I have all, all of the control over this environment apart from what people do once they're in the room. So that's the thing I can't control is, you know, what kids going to do at what in the room. One of the things that I did, this was non-negotiable for me, um, is there was a puppy in that playpen, but there was a working therapy dog in the room. Mm. So there was never, ever a situation where I, I had a puppy in a playpen and had kids coming in here and because the puppy's asleep. I don't let, you, they sleep all day. Mm, so They're not working. They're not working. That's a thing. So she would sleep all day. Olive would sleep all day in that playpen and then he'd wake up. you got to indoor toilet train them as well because you can't take a puppy. When they wake up, they got to the toilet straight away. You can't take a puppy um, down in the middle of someone's session, but that puppy's going to wee. So you have to indoor toilet train them in their playpen. Um, then the puppy would wake up and I would say, oh, he's waking up. He's waking up. Do you want to see if he wants to play? And before we let the puppy out, we'd talk about, so you, you always have to have a toy in your hands the whole time because puppy's mouth and it hurts when puppy's mouth. Like little needles. They're like needles. Particularly for worst. kids. Oh, yeah. For sure. And like, and they also, they pull away. And so mm. they get scratched by the teeth as well. So it would be, he's waking up like, and if the dog didn't wake up while the kid was here, then they don't touch the puppy. That's it. They don't touch it. Um, but then what happens? So you can play with the puppy for a little bit, but you've got to put the puppy back. It's only about five or 10 minutes that the puppy can play before they become, they get tired again and they get naughty. And so now the play becomes dysregulated play from the puppy and they will be barking, biting, jumping, carrying on like idiots. Um, and it's disruptive. And also it's not a nice experience for the client. Uh, any of you that have got puppies at the moment or listening to this, you've got puppies, you know what I'm talking about. Mm. So they reach that witching hour and it is only very shortly. So if, they ha if the dog happens to fall, puppy happens to fall asleep and they're out of the playpen, that's fine. But if they get that dysregulated play, that real sort of red zone play happening, you got to put the puppy back in the playpen Otherwise, you're teaching them bad behaviors in this space. So when you're doing that, it's really hard for, especially kids, but even adults, it's really hard for there to be a puppy in the room and you're not allowed to touch it. We're not allowed to wake it up. We're not allowed to play with it. It sucks, man. Like it's, it's so it sucks yeah, it to sucks. see a puppy anywhere and not be able to yeah. touch. Yeah. And remember, we're trying to develop human-animal bond. So we're trying to not make people feel like this relationship with this dog is off to a bad start because you aren't allowed to have a relationship with the dog. The dog's not here for you. Mm. That's You can't touch the dog. Da, da, da. All of that has got a real um, rupturing, you know, it's, we're getting off to the wrong, to the wrong start with that relationship. I feel by putting all of that, maybe it's my own personal profile, but if, someone had a dog there and they were like, you can't touch this puppy. Like it's got to leave it alone. I, in my head would switch off attachment to that puppy because mm. 
I'm like, well, obviously, Sam, you can't love that puppy, okay? Because you can't, you're not you in a position to be yeah, able to love on this dog. Puppy. <laughs> so it's like how when I, when I, when service dogs first became quite popular and I'd go past like, or, you know, Labrador's obviously my favorite thing, always guide dogs or whatever. And I'd be like, I can't believe I can't pet that dog. Like, this is bloody outrageous. But then you just learn to like turn off the little switch in your brain that goes like, I, I, want that, I want to pat that dog, you know? So now I see a service dog and I, I'm like, yeah, I don't feel like I need to pat it. Any other dog that walks past me down the street, if I don't have a dog with me, I'm patting it. I'm patting every <laughs> other dog. Like I'm, I'm that person. Can I pat your dog? Can I please pat your dog? That's like when I went to the markets and I pat those goats. Cause I was like, whoa, 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 excuse me. <laughs> Are these goats here at the markets? I'm patting these goats for sure. I pat the goats for ages. Cute. I'm that person. So, but you know, anyway. So I, I can imagine though what you're saying because you know when you when you when you're dealing with vulnerable people, particularly mm. also kids, you don't want to be putting um, yourself and them in a position where you're constantly having to say no because it's also then I imagine it would be rupturing the relationship that you also have with your client not just some, of, the, some of the kids we see ain't hearing no bloody no that's, <laughs> yeah. that's for sure like yeah. it doesn't matter what you say like <laughs> uh, so yeah absolutely like and yeah it's I don't okay it's probably easier to because to, you might be listening to this being like I don't know if that's big, that big of a deal it's probably easier to think of it this way I'm a psychologist Everything that I have in this room is to benefit the client. Okay. So the way that the room is set out. So um, that's my fish tank. It's got um, a heap of angelfish in it. Um, so pretty. We have that for client stuff. All these photos of the dogs on the wall. Um, there to facilitate our human animal bond and all of our metaphors that we make around the dog's hobbies. So that's the dogs and the hobbies and stuff like that. All of our resources and equipment and things like that. That's where I sit. And then we've got all my other farm animal photos and we talk about all the relationships of all the farm animals and blah, blah, blah. Everything that we do here is to benefit the client. So I don't do things in my day-to-day job as a psychologist that don't benefit the client. I don't bring things into the room that don't benefit the client. If something's in the room or there's something happening in a session, it is to benefit the client. So if the puppy is here, it needs to be to benefit the client. Mm. So I can't see how some of that other stuff about like, well, we're bringing these dogs in, blah, 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 and it's not benefiting. Like, is it benefiting them or not? Like, is it benefiting these kids at the school? Is it benefiting? Is it benefiting anyone or not? If it's not benefiting anyone, you can't, don't do it because that's the whole point is that's the whole point. I know it's a really tricky balance because we need to benefit the dog. So this is one of the really hard things about being a professional allied health or educator or whatever it is, being a professional and offering a professional animal assisted service, you have to balance out the needs of the dog and your demographic your clientele group you can't put the needs of the dog before the client group Mm. that is you not acting as a professional and I know that this might be hard to hear but you don't need that dog there to do your job none of us need the dog to do our job we want the dog to help us do our job because we can see that it can benefit the client but you don't need it there, which means that if having the dog there is making you less good at your job, it's making your professional service delivery less effective for the clients who are coming to receive your services, then it's not a good idea and it's unethical. So I know that's probably hard to hear. Yeah, hard truths. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's probably hard to hear, guys. Um, and if you're in an unregulated industry and you can do whatever you want, maybe that's different again. But I can only talk to you from, you know, I'm in one of the most highly regulated industries. So we'd be among 
be absolutely most highly regulated. So I can only talk to you from top down. Like it's, we have to take that approach because I know that we have many, many, many teams that are also psychologists. Um, And then we've also got teams who are medical doctors and we've got teams who are dentists as well uh, and, and RNs and things like that where patient safety is the utmost, 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 utmost. <laughs> like that's the number one priority. If you don't need, none of us need a dog to do a job. We don't, I don't need a dog to be a psychologist. I don't need a dog to be a dentist. I don't need a dog to be a GP. I don't need a dog to do any of those things. We want the dog there to benefit client outcomes. So if you bring in the dog along, it needs to be benefiting the client outcomes. If it's not benefiting client outcomes, then it's a waste of time. And if it's making client outcomes poorer, then now it's an ethical concern. Um, and you, a lot of us can be absolutely disciplined for that. So with that in mind, is the puppy setup that you've got going on, um, those of you who are already doing it or anyone who's thinking about doing it, who is it benefiting? If you can answer that question and you can consider yourself that you could, you could absolutely, uh, don't email me about it. Okay. This is between, <laughs> this is between you and yourself. Okay. I don't care. I don't, I'm, I'm past it. I don't care. Do whatever you want, but <laughs> it's not going to be from my advice. All right. This is general advice, but you've got to ask yourself, can you answer that question and are you happy with that answer? And if your regulatory body asks you that question, can you answer that question? And are you happy with the answer? Okay. Can with back, all these, can you back it up? As can well? you back yourself up? Yeah. Mm. Cause we can't have it being, so the other scale of things. So what I know some people do is chuck puppies in play pens and no one's allowed to touch the dog. That's it. The other thing that people do is they just have the puppies out and the puppy just does whatever it wants and the client just does whatever they want with the puppy and they think the puppy loves it. Again, I don't know. I don't know if your dog loves it or not. I've never met your dog. However, first of all, that's all about the client. So um, I don't think that that's the right way to raise a puppy. I don't raise a puppy like that at home. So puppies at home are in playpens, crates, on the lead, or they're having short amounts of time of supervised play um, where I'm with them and they're in their right headspace and they're emotionally regulated and they're um, keeping things, if things are going well, and then as soon as they get, you know, a bit funny or dysregulated, whatever, they get um, back into a safe situation. So some people might be listening going like, oh, but my dog just sleeps the whole time and it just lays on the couch and it's whatever and people don't care. And blah, blah, blah. Good. That's fine. Like this is why this is so hard is because if that's what's happening and you can't find any holes in what you're doing with your puppy, then neither can I. Like that's what this conversation is about. So who am I to say that that's not happening? Because I know that there are puppies out there that are very chill and very sweet from the very beginning um, and they're not developing some kind of anxiety disorder from people patting them all day and picking them up and doing all those things that's I, I absolutely recognize that those dogs do exist there's always the exception there's always like I mean exactly that's why we don't make different. rules <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's why we la- we largely do not make rules we make some very heavy recommendations one of the things that we won't budge on is you've got to be in, your dog's got to be in your line of sight at all times if they're interacting with another human being. Well, so just if in got general, a, if you've got a puppy, they either need to be secure or yeah. in but your even line of our, sight. Our teams, like our, our dog and handler teams, like that's something we just won't budge on. Like you've got to be, you don't hand your dog off to another handler unless they're, you know, properly trained and blah, 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 blah. Um, you don't just hand your dog off. Your dog is in your line of sight at all times. So I think that that is really important. Um, but like, largely speaking, we don't make rules because we're not a regulatory body. We don't have a regulatory body for this. So yet, so we, we don't make rules. We don't enforce rules. That's why it gets to this point where I just go like, okay. So the advice that I'm giving you about not taking your puppy (laughs) is general advice. If, if you know what you're doing and your puppy is benefiting and your clientele are benefiting, 
then what position is anybody in to say to you that you can't do it or don't do it? So, but the, the whole point of this conversation, even though it's probably sounding a bit ranty, the whole point of this conversation is to ask yourself those questions and to come up with these are some of the things that um, you may not have thought to ask yourself or some of the things that you may not have considered. But if you're answering all these questions and you're still sweet by the end of it, good, great, excellent. If you're feeling a bit challenged by these questions, you're like, oh, oh, shit. Like, or a bit oh. triggered. Yeah, if you're feeling, <laughs> if you're annoyed at me now. <laughs> if you're thinking Sam's an idiot, who does she think she is? <laughs> it might be worth having a little think about some of the decisions that you've made and outcomes because it might not be too late for your puppy just yet. I can't stress, I know I've said it a thousand times, can't stress enough how often we get these bloody dogs try and come for temperament assessments and the dog is cooked. And I'm like, what happened to this dog? Like, why is it like that? And they're like, I don't know. It's been going to school since it was like 12 weeks old, getting walked mm. around by all the students <laughs> and, you know, being kept awake all day, every day and, you know, being ha- handled by different teachers and da, 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 and all this stuff. And I'm like, was it, was it? Okay. Well, your dog's cooked, so that's unfortunate. I actually want to add something to that um, just quickly is as much as also you need to be asking yourself if you can handle these situations, another question is how do you know when um, your dog is having an aversive reaction? Because I feel like that is also something that isn't obvious Um, and and that's a good question to And what do you hear? Do you want to hear a horror story? Oliver was here as a puppy. So this is the big point about I've got a dog outside of the playpen. So that's the therapy dog. So the kids come here, they're expecting to pat a, pat a bloody dog. There better be a bloody dog I can pat. So even though I've got this situation where all well, the puppies are asleep, you can't pat the puppy, but here's Sonny and he wants to play fetch, you know, and like here's this dog and they want to do, you know, these things and we can pat this dog. And if Oliver wakes up, we will be able to, you know, we'll be able to pat him for a bit. Those kinds of things. That is a was a major, major difference for me. So there was no problem with like we've cruised through it. Like there has certainly been times when kids have been disappointed, um, but we've been able to repair those ruptures because there's another dog here for mm. them to, you know, pour their love out on um, and get all that sensory import and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And you know, the sessions are an hour. So usually the puppy is going to wake up, but if they don't wake up, that's, that's okay. Like, and it's, we can just watch the puppy and we would sit on the floor, like we'd sit on the floor, you know, near the playpen and stuff like that and watch the puppy sleep and do all those things. That's soothing in and of itself. People love watching dogs sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Love it when Dougie sleeps. Yeah. Um, so one time, (laughs) I had a kid here. That's actually, I won't tell the whole story because it's a bit sad, but um, he didn't want to leave. Um, And t- to summarize, I don't think this was a, a new kid. I think I only seen him once before. Um, I don't think he had much of a safe space outside in, in his life. He was probably mm. about eight, but he was a really big seven or eight. He was a really, really big kid. And he did have um, develop, developmental delay including intellectual delay. Um, and he, Oliver was in the playpen. He must, Oliver must've been about maybe 12 or 14 weeks old. And Sunny was here and I was wrapping up. Didn't realize like this kid doesn't do transitions well. Um, but also this was a safe space. So um, didn't want to leave and started to get quite like noisy and also um, aggressive as well. So there was lots of banging things um, and like smashing, like I had an iPad, um, mm. trying to smash the iPad, running out into the hallway and banging on the glass um I got glass doors I thought they were going to shatter like Mm. I was like it was so loud Mm. it was it was like this was a like a big kid um I had a puppy (laughs) and a dog (laughs) and I was like 
Uh oh. Oh dear. Uh oh. So I can't restrain that kid. That's not my within the scope of what I'm allowed to do in that moment. Um. So and the parents, the parent was just outside the door, um, but had no uh, recourses either. So um, it was a case of we're having a meltdown and we need to be supported. Uh, but it was loud and it was screaming and yelling and stuff like that. And I was very lucky that um, Amy Biggs worked for me. She was my receptionist at that point. And I scooped this puppy up and like threw him at her and was like, take and put Sunny. She took Oliver and Sunny into uh, a different room. And, but she's, she, by that point, she was already working with the dogs she, she'd done our training and blah 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 um as a backup handler so um I was really really lucky because I couldn't manage the whole situation mm. I couldn't manage the kid I just had to support him because it was very it was it wasn't uh like a behavioral meltdown he felt safer and so what like once he's so what had triggered him is that he didn't want to leave the dogs because he asked if he could have a sleepover at the clinic. And I was like, but there's not going to be anybody here. And he was like, but what about the dogs? And I was like, Aww. oh, the dogs go home with me. And then he just snapped it. So it was, and it was just about safe space stuff. And that's, this was, this is, Oliver was a puppy. So this was like eight years ago. Um, that is one of the moments that really shaped for me, like, so we need transitional items like we we're creating this safe space and then we're sending these kids back out there like see ya yeah. <laughs> time's mm. up yeah it'd be tough yeah it is it is hard um and especially you know puppies like we get that oxytocin response and stuff oh, like you I know I mean it's just heavenly like they just everybody loves puppies so much yeah so yeah that's scary, man. And like, that's the kind of scenario that could have permanently traumatized your dog, you know, um, Oliver being his age. And he was right at that. Yeah. Um, Critical period. 12 yeah. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I remember him being like handbag size, fluffy. Like he wasn't like seven weeks, you know, he was, he must've been like 12 to 14 or something. Um. Yeah. Ridiculous. So um terrifying mm. and you can't you my job I can't tend to the puppy at that point in time I have to tend to that child because that's my job that is my job so bringing a dog to work doesn't mean that you get to not do your job you have to do your job my job is to take care of this child not to be like unlucky kid like, I hope you don't smash through that glass. Like, you better not break my iPad and be, like, trying to give your puppy treats and, you know, stuff like that yeah. Like because you're just worried. Option. That's the thing. You're worried about your dog getting an adverse reaction to all this sound and yelling and stuff like that. You can't, you can't prioritise the dog in that moment. You have to prioritise the kid, particularly in the field that I am in. It would be absolutely unacceptable for me to leave that kid to his own devices um, and just worry about my dog. That's not, not on at all. That's the risk that you're running. So if you think like you might have the, the right dog and the right situation and, and all these things are in play and it's all good, but the one thing that you can't manage is what everybody else is doing. So it just depends like what role that you're in at your work and, you know, those kinds of things. And like, certainly I took risks by uh, having those situations. This is, you know, that was eight years ago. Mm. Um, I learned a lot from that. That's where this information comes from, is from me doing it before you and going, that could have gone really bad. <laughs> and somehow getting through stuff 
luckily with luck with luck Mm, for a lot of things with luck getting through things um and scenarios and situations but seriously learning from it because it's like oh man that's scary for a dog so I do understand where people are coming from that they want to take their dogs they want to socialize them or they just don't want to leave the puppy at home I get it I totally totally get it listen I'm on your page I get it I just have a lot of trust and faith and confidence in my position to be able to manage 99% of what is going to go down for these dogs. Do you know what I also had? Um, weird scenarios where this must have been with Nala. I'd be like, with I can't remember, I can't remember specifically this situation, but I remember that it was a kid and I had toy toys in both. I was like, have toy a toy in both hands because she's going to bite. And then them not, not having the toy, like just not using the toy. I mean, sitting there like literally right with them and putting their hands in her mouth. Yeah. And I was like. <laughs> I've managed all, this and it's still not happening. <laughs> what is happening? I think I planned for this and yet. <laughs> and it's such a foolproof plan, but what. I hadn't factored in is that this kid's just ignoring me. Don't want to though, hold the toys. Yeah. And I'm like checking in comprehension wise. And like, they're telling me, like they're telling me what they need to do and then putting their, and I'm like, your hands in the dog's mouth. Like what's happening here? Cause then that's <laughs> part of my job is to be like, is this like a processing thing? Like, mm. yeah. but I think it was a sensory seeking thing. Like, and it was either, total opposition oppositional behavior or sensory seeking like I just want to feel what it feels like which I have kids do that they touch the electric fence at the farm I'm like don't touch it it's on and they're like is it on and I'm like it's on don't touch it and then they touch it and then they touch it again like they they're looking I'm off it I'm sick of explaining (laughs) I know the kids are gonna touch it (laughs) um they're seeking it's so side note it's all the adhd kids that do it that they touch the fence seeking that stimulation mm. risk taking i don't know whatever but they do stuff like that so i think it was more of that kind of thing but my mind was exploding when i was watching this happen because i'd never seen this before and i was like what is happening but also like as a psychologist this is very interesting behavior but also can you stop teaching my dog to bite, please? Yeah. Like you get this secondary, which is your like transference, counter-transference sort of thing going on. You're bringing a bias into the room because I'm trying really hard to teach this dog not to mouth and she doesn't, wasn't, hasn't been mouthing because we've got toys in our hands and this kid's putting their hand in her mouth and it's undoing in my head, like that's undoing my training. But that's not the right way to handle that scenario because it's not about me and it's not about my dog it's about what's going on with this kid like mm, what's yeah what's this what kid telling us why do they me? do yeah what is that where else does this happen what else how else does this the function whatever the function of this is where else does that present like what else happens that's like this in this kid's life like is this something that we need to understand better and work on and you know like so in that sense it's an observation I've got to make an observation while this is taking place and I'm talking to them but if I'm just like stop it you know like first of all (laughs) they're not gonna (laughs) (laughs) they've made it clear that they're not gonna (laughs) it's not happening it's not happening um, but it's an ob- like you know. I actually mm. need I, that. That's a presentation of a behavior that I really need to try and understand. So if I just stop it, like they're not going to be able to tell me why they're doing that. The kid, um, but they, you know, they might have some ideas. But generally speaking, kids aren't going to be able to answer those sorts of questions. So when you are observing it, that's your job is to kind of try and help mm. them information gather. Mm. while whilst in the moment you know whilst it's happening um that's a great opportunity to do that but you do have this back 
of your brain being like, stop teaching my dog bad habits, please. So I guess, um, you know, the whole point is that it's really hard um, to raise a puppy in a workplace. It's There's lots of things you can control, even if you've got the right dog for it, which I think you should, I, if you're not a dog professional, um, a dog behavior professional, if you're not a dog professional, you should get a dog professional's opinion on whether or not this is the right kind of temperamented puppy. Um, you remember Bella from Farmstay? So we've just had Bella, the puppy here for Farmstay. That dog's got a temperament where she could go, she could go into a school, like for a visit in a school. Like she has got that temperament. Um, and I've met other puppies the same, you know, where they are just solid. very solid, mm. solid, confident dogs, strong dogs. Um, absolutely. Like they do exist. Uh, there's, and also there's very, very chill dogs as well. So, um, also, you know, very stable dogs, but then there's also like millions of dogs that don't meet that criteria. And it would be really hard to know if you're not a dog professional, cause you're not looking at hundreds of dogs all the time. Um, yeah. So get, I would ask a dog professional if you're not one already, if you are a dog professional, then you don't, you can ask yourself and just be honest with yourself. The other thing to consider is the workplace environment. So like what I discussed before, who is this benefiting? Does it just benefit the puppy? Are we just here? Is it benefiting you because you don't want to leave the puppy at home? Um, or is it benefiting someone else as well? Um, if it's benefiting, if your job is to benefit, be of benefit, provide services of benefit to a clientele, are you doing that by having this dog here or are you not doing that by having this dog here? Sometimes like, so there's, I would say in like an office environment, yeah, if someone's got a pet puppy, bring it in and let it sleep in a, a, a playpen or a crate so it's not home by itself. But the difference in that scenario is that it's just a pet dog. Its job isn't to develop a relationship that's mutually beneficial with everybody that bloody works here. It's just your pet dog. So, oh, Max has got a dog, like cute, you know, I don't need to develop an emotional attachment with that dog because it's Max's dog. So who cares that I can't pat it? I think Max is a bitch because she's not letting me pat her dog, but whatever, <laughs> that will happen for sure. Um, but <laughs> the workplace is going to be a buzz with like, has everyone seen that Max is bringing a dog in? He's not letting anyone pat it. <laughs> That'd be the water cooler conversation for sure. It's so would. Absolutely. Uh, I'd be the ringleader of that. Why is she bringing it in here? Why is she even bringing it? Like, get a dog sitter. What are you doing? Work from home. Oh my God. As if you'd Everyone can look at my dog. They're just not allowed to touch it. She put it in a handbag. Oh my God. <laughs> it's actually a backpack. <laughs> yeah. It's in a pram. <laughs> no, I'd be like, please, Max, just me. Just let me pat the dog. Please, 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 please. I'd, I'd consider it. I'd consider it. I would make <laughs> no myself. Pro- no promises though, Sam. I'd make myself the puppy's godmother um, and I'd be like, well, so, you know, obviously part of the family. (laughs) (laughs) So the different scenario to if you're bringing a dog in somewhere, like, you know, some, even if it's, even if you work in like a headspace center, and the reason I'm saying that is because I was at headspace, you might be thinking, well, I've got this dog out in the back room. um, And so therefore it's not meeting any of our clients. um, So it's fine. But at least 50% of that dog's job is preventing all of your colleagues at Headspace from getting burnout. So we hear that day in, day out, over and over and over again is it's the staff. It's the staff. It's the, staff, the dog benefits the staff, the staff stuff. Yes, it does. So if you bring your puppy in and you've got it in some crate or playpen or whatever at Headspace, Young Care, whatever, any of those places where you've got um, like those group offices and all that sort of stuff, and you're like, no one touched the dog. Don't touch the dog. Then the staff are going to be like, I don't like this dog because like, I can't, it doesn't, I don't have a relationship with it because I, I can't have a relationship with it. So I don't like it. I don't regard the dog. I don't re- regard the dog's value. That's detrimental in my opinion to everything you're trying to achieve with this dog. Mm. So you don't then just get the dog to an age where they can be temperament tested. You, you do the course, they get temperament tested, they do their obedience videos. 
And then they, we go tick and then you rock in one day and you're like, okay, guys, you're allowed to touch the dog. That's not going to, relationships don't work like that. Mm. So I think that you're setting yourself up for problems if that is what your plan is. That's my opinion. Okay. That's just my opinion. It would also just be very hard for your work colleagues to suddenly feel comfortable approaching your dog as well. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, yeah. Even if they're told that they're allowed to. Exactly. It's going to be awkward. They don't have a relationship with the dog. They've been, they've spent 12 months being told you can't have anything to do with Mm. this dog. And then all of a sudden overnight, the dog walks in and it's like, okay, now you can have a relationship with the dog. I don't think that that's how relationships work. I just don't Mm. think that's how they work. So again, that's my opinion. I think that we can set ourselves up for problems. However, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, that's not what's going to happen at my workplace. That's not what's going to happen with my dog. That's not what's going to happen with me. That's not, that's not, that's not good. So you've done your mental checklist and you've, you know, considered everything. There'll be more things to consider than what I just thought to mention today as well. Um, But the main thing is, is this puppy's development being supported throughout this time that they're there at this workplace? And is, are you being able to do your job as a professional uh, to the standard that you were with the standard of client care, with the standard of um, colleague relationships, with that standard of everything else? Are you able to do that to the same standard that you were before you got this puppy? So I think those are the main things that you've got to think about. It's not about what we tell you to do um, because I'm every course we've got dogs in that have been in workplaces already. Oh, actually, and I wanted to mention, um, this is this comes up regularly, adolescent dogs in workplaces, get some advice, mm. get some advice, yeah. get some advice. When you raise a dog in an environment where you're regularly you're regularly at this environment like a workplace, if the dog develops undesirable behaviors such as barking at people who come through the door um, like they would at your house, because all of our dogs bark at the door at the house, if your dog's barking at the door at your workplace, that is unacceptable. So if your dog learns to do that uh, in your workplace, it is hard to fix that it is hard to fix some of these things that they learn to do when they're young dogs in a workplace so if we don't know how to control over the environment correct control yeah imagine trying to tell imagine trying to get Dougie to never bark at your front door when someone opens the door imagine that yeah like my as if you know like I want my dogs to bark at the door at the gate that sort of stuff um because they're in the house, you know, like I want to know if someone's coming up to the house. Uh, but if I considered, oh, and I just want to teach my dogs to never bark when someone approaches the house, I don't even, I don't think that's a thing. Like I just, I just, no, I just don't know. Not nah. like you'd have to lock them up outside somewhere where they, they can't see or hear anything like in a yeah. sensory safe area outside or, or something. So when it happens in the workplace, it, it's very detrimental to the experience of the people who are supposed to be developing a relationship with the dog. It's annoying to the staff um, and it's unacceptable. So uh, those are the types of things that sometimes people come to us and go, oh, the dog's been at the workplace for five months and it's barking at people the whole time. And I'm like, bummer. <laughs> like. Ooh. Sucks. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> so it, I guess um, just pointing out that it's hard, it is a lot easier to prevent those things from becoming a problem than what it is to fix them down the track. Um, so just be aware of there are like a number of things like that that we need to make sure that we are informed about bef- so that we're not developing habits that are very, very unhelpful or um, not allowed, you know. So, for example, mouthing clients. Mouthing clients is not acceptable. Like that's, again, these are my opinion. These things are my opinion, but I'm 
dare say that barking at people and biting them is going to be unacceptable from pretty much everyone's mm. standards. Yeah. Um. Uh, and peeing and toileting. I was about to say toileting yeah. inside. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. they learn that, <laughs> you're going to be, It's these things are a nightmare. So just be really aware that there's these things that can be, they can take a very long time to fix. Um, and if they become um, environment specific to your work area, they can become a real problem to solve um, down the track, very time consuming, sort of lots of counter conditioning, all that sort of stuff. Um, the retraining is a lot harder than training. So just be aware that, yeah, that a lot of the time that people are coming along to the courses and the dogs have already developed behaviours that we've now got to undo or deal with or whatever. Okay. It's a whole thing. <laughs> it's a whole thing. And I'm, you know, like I, I more and more as we, you know, develop, uh, this industry develops and we, we see more and more dogs and people around and stuff like that. Like we are saying before, like they're all different. It's, there's no rule, but it's very hard to make rules, um, that fit every situation. I don't know that you can, I really don't think that there's going to be one set of rules that's going to work for every dog and every handler in every type of workplace with every type of client demographic. I think it is something that needs to be considered on a case-by-case basis. However, the safest thing for me to do is to say, don't take your dog until it's been trained and assessed. There are insurance, uh, I should have mentioned that there is insurance issues as well. Okay. So check with your insurance company, whether or not they're happy for you to have a young dog that hasn't been oh. temperament tested at any so they, dog. they might require therapy they are they oh, okay. are requiring yeah. yeah but I'm not I'm not an insurance expert but there are insurance companies who are absolutely demanding that you go and get your dog trained and assessed before it's in a workplace absolutely oh, yeah you need to ask them that question mm. um so um in terms of making decisions I want people to be able to have enough information that they can make good decisions for themselves make a good decision for you and your dog and um, your client group and that fits within your industry standards because I'm a psychologist I don't know what you guys are like you know you you might be a teacher or a teacher aide or a counselor or a social worker or podiatrist you know like and I don't know anything about being a podiatrist like I don't know what your rules are um, and I'm not certainly not going to go and find out what every regulatory bodies rules I've got enough problems keeping up with the psych rules <laughs> like it's a nightmare so that's never happening and I don't think that there is any one body that's ever going to be able to keep up with the expectations of each different profession that's trying to incorporate a therapy dog into their professional practice for the benefit of their clients their client outcomes we all want the same thing we all want our client outcomes to be improved we all want to add great things to this industry. So make good choices and make informed choices um, and yeah, do everything you can to set yourselves up for success. Um, our general advice is don't take the dogs until they're trained and assessed, because I think that that's the smartest thing to do. I think it's, that's the most risk averse thing to do. If you've got other ways to manage stuff, like I'm an accredited dog trainer. So if I'm going to take a puppy somewhere, you know, I've temperament tested my own puppy. I think this is going to be da, 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 da. If you're an accredited dog trainer, then you can make decisions like that as well. There's no, do you know what I mean? Like you've got that there. You can do that. Mm. If, if you're, um, yeah, it's just, it's just about having information um, considering the information, having a really good think about what's going to work for you and your environment, but understanding that the safest thing to do that's going to give you that absolute best odds at having a dog that is has a suitable temperament um, for therapy work is to not take risks with them when they're in that very early stage of their life um, which is up to about 12 months. Don't take the risks with them in the workplace. Take those risks with them at Bunnings, at Pet Barn, at your local markets, at your cafe. You know, take those risks there because if something scary happens there, who cares? You know, go sit out the front of Coles. And if someone you drops can remove something, yourself. you can remove yourself at any time. You know, like 
you can give all of your energy and attention to the dog. You can make sure that you have got a plan in place. You move away, you get closer. Like you can, you've just got so much more control over the situation and the outcome of the situation than if you're having to, um, like the examples that I gave where you've got to give all of your resources to this client at this time because that's your responsibility to do that. So have a good think about it, guys. Um, don't email me about your puppy in your workplace unless <laughs> unless you're emailing about, you can talk to me about it um, if you want to do some consulting or something like if you want a training plan or something like that. But otherwise, my replies are going to be like, good, good luck. Listen to your this podcast. Your reply is going to be like, yeah. <laughs> Go back and listen. You know? it, <laughs> listen like, again. I don't know how long we've been talking. It's over an hour, but that's, I haven't even scraped the surface really of like all the things to consider and all the things that have happened to me in the past and like all the things that I set up to be ready to have a puppy in a workplace. And, you know, so they can't be crying. They can't be crying in the playpen. You got to already fix that at home. You got to have them not crying. That's a big deal in and of itself. Takes time to do that with some Mm. dogs. It's a not, you cannot have, I, I, in the work role that I'm in, I cannot have a puppy crying in there. Can't, this is a group practice. I've got kids with autism coming in here, mm-hmm. sensory stuff. This is a, supposed to be a safe space. Uh, we can't be having a dog screaming in the playpen. Not on, not no. on. So immediately, at home. Yeah, immediately you're out. Mm. But anyway, so have a think about it, guys. But yeah, take home message being um, I'm not here to tell everybody what to do. I'm just here to give you advice and information and points to consider. And you could talk to someone else as well. Talk to some one of the other therapy dog trainers or whatever. And they'll probably give you different advice and different things to consider because we all come from different walks of life as well. So, you know, and we've had different experiences with clients and dogs and things like that. So have, do some research, ask around, ask yourself the questions, ask other trainers the questions, see what they say, what are the pros, what are the cons, but use your critical thinking and relate that information back to your specific situation, your specific dog, and you make decisions about your dog and your job and your industry, because there's not going to be anybody that can answer those questions better than you. So our job's just to provide that, that advice and that opportunity to have a think about these things. And then- yeah. If you do want to book in for some consulting around your puppy, go for it. We also do the puppy and adolescent school yeah. um, program. So that's also helpful if you need ongoing support. Particularly the webinars are super helpful. <clears throat> so um, there's lots of information in those. So um, keep that in mind uh, that they are webinars that come with those classes. And then you cl- the classes are your opportunity to have a chat about what's going on with your puppy specifically. Thanks, Sam. Oh, pleasure. So much to unpack there. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're interested in studying with Therapy Dogs Australia or you have a few more questions before deciding, please get in touch with us by emailing courses at therapydog.com.au or visiting our website at www.therapydog.com.au for more information and FAQs. Mm-hmm.